So in the second episode of our podcast, we are having Natalie Randall-Price. Um, she's an osteopath, an athletic therapist, and an athlete. Before we get into the conversation with her, I'm just going to read a short excerpt from her Instagram that kind of outlines what we will be discussing today. This is from Natalie's Instagram. Fat is an interesting thing. Adipose tissue, the technical term for lipid storage, lipids or fat cells you have had since you were born, and they expand and shrink according to your genetics, nutrition, hormones, stress levels, and society celebrates having smaller ones. Instagram is filled with beautiful people who don't have much of it. For 15 years, I've had thoughts every day about how do I figure out the magic combo to have less. Genetics didn't care about keto or Atkins or intermittent fasting. Hormones didn't care if I restricted my eating to structure 1,200 calories of balanced macros. Stress management, meditation, acupuncture, metformin, half Ironman training didn't shift the number of cells, their size, or my lack of health. So fucked up. It's ridiculous that the solution for not being morbidly obese is to cut two-thirds of your stomach out Cut out the leptin and the ghrelin receptors so the brain stops panicking and lets the size of the cells come down. I exercise as much as I did pre-surgery. I eat the same healthy food now as I did before. Just in six mini-meals versus three, nothing else has changed except everything. I'm excited to have hit the 100-day mark post-surgery and 64 pounds of exhausting to walk up hills, can't go skiing, no, you're too fat to skydive. Here's the extender belt on the airplane of fat is off my body, but why the hell, if the solution to morbid obesity is a gastric sleeve surgery, did it take 10 years of every doctor appointment possible and dieting and mental health struggles of me just not trying hard enough for this to finally end? Rant over. Celebration begins. To all of you, they're struggling to not make diet resolutions. Don't do it. Please, reach out to me anytime. I've lived it all. It's exhausting and demoralizing. Unless you have lived in a fat suit, you don't quite get it. I've had numerous medical professionals fat shame me, and I'm a healthcare professional myself. Somehow, if I just ate less and exercised more, it would all work out, and I didn't know how to do it right. Even though I'm an athletic therapist and learned a ridiculous amount about nutrition and exercise in school. Now, obviously, cutting out your stomach is not the solution for those of you beautiful people with some extra fat cells. I had more than some. 288 pounds with 45% body fat means I had 129 pounds of them. That's too many for my joints and heart and lungs and life. I struggled with getting these photos done. I've hidden my body for years. I've requested people take the photos from shoulders up or not from the side and with me in the middle for years. That's my size had to be minimized, that I needed to be minimized, that my worth has been measured according to the number and size of one type of cell in my body and that's fucked up. And I feel like a hypocrite celebrating how now having smaller cells. I love and hate these pictures because I also feel like now I'm just another person on Instagram celebrating losing weight and I don't want to be that or do that. And yet I know that I want, want that. I don't want to wear the fat suit anymore. Never did. It didn't belong to me. My true essence has been weighed down emotionally and literally. And yet here I am celebrating a hundred days, sort of. Crying as I write this side by side with the best husband in the world, trying to find the balance of including my tribe, not perpetuating and promoting diet culture, culture, and also sharing and ranting so that things start to change. Perception changes. Those that never have to wear the fat suit maybe get it a bit more. Those wearing it get the proper medical help, or less fat shamed or celebrate their bodies better so they don't hide don't minimize don't miss years being less just because some cells are more with love
So that's a beautiful post from Natalie. And now we'll get into our chat. All right. Oh, Natalie. So as we get started, why don't you give us a little background on yourself? Oh, there. what do you want included? Whatever you want to say. Really? Uh, hi, my name's uh, Natalie Randall Price. I am an osteopath and certified athletic therapist here in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And I work in a beautiful clinic on Lake Pinook called Co-Sport Therapy. Beautiful. Hey. So today I actually started this podcast um, with one of your Instagram posts. Okay. I pre-recorded it before coming here. Okay. It was... You reaching your 100 days. 100 day mark. Post-surgery. Yeah, yeah. So let's get a little bit into kind of your health journey over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, you had your surgery September 20... 2020. So two years now. Two years ago. Yeah. All right. Um, what made you choose to go and get the surgery? Let's discuss a little bit about the surgery. Yeah. What exactly let's dig into it. Done? Yeah, so I had gastric sleeve surgery. Um, it's kind of a miraculous, sort of the best solution to deal with the disease that is obesity. And um, it's not definitely for everyone, but it can be a great option and tool if you have um, struggled with obesity and have, uh, you know, a very high BMI and you haven't been able to regulate your body weight in other more traditional ways. Um, we know it's the most effective way to deal with obesity. Um, and I had literally tried every single thing else. So I grew up at normal, healthy body weight, was a pretty active athlete, was um, always a healthy eater. In my 20s, I started to get sick and uh, dealt with uh, polycystic ovaries. Um, I had uh, another condition in my uterus called adenomyosis. It's a sister of endometriosis. Lots of tumors filled my uterus. Um, and as I got sicker, hormonally, gynecologically, I started gaining more and more weight. Didn't matter what I ate, didn't matter how much I exercised. My body just kept going up. And um, the traditional medicine was very much like eat less, exercise more. I was already exercising a lot and eating healthy portions. So it was tremendously frustrating. And then especially as a healthcare provider, being like diminished constantly, being like, no, I'm not well, I'm, I'm sick. Like there's something wrong in my body. And everybody just sort of being like, oh, you know, if you lost some weight, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's lovely. That would, be, that would be magical. Thank you so much for that idea. Um, I never yeah, so tremendous amount of fat shaming. And I can only imagine, because I'm very privileged, you know, wealthy white woman in Nova Scotia and a healthcare provider, and I was still getting getting fat shamed like crazy. Um, so tried everything, went on all the different diets, did keto, did intermittent fasting, did uh, an Ironman, just was like, is there any way I can get all this weight off of me? And um, I probably had put on about 120 pounds onto my frame. So I was close to 300. Um, you can imagine my joints and my body feeling pretty shitty at that weight. Um, and so finally, my husband and I, we made the decision to do gastric sleeve and, and, and it's an expensive surgery if you can't get on the list in your province or your state. And so we started saving the money. So we saved up $10,000 and I was going to go to Toronto and get the surgery done up there and reached out to my family doctor to refer me here in Halifax to a local GI doc. So if I had complications, I had somebody who knew that I'd had the surgery and maybe I could loop back to kind of thing. And uh, basically build your support system. Build my support system before I got it done, just in case there was complications. And um, so got into the GI doc here in Halifax, and they're like, oh, hey, have you heard about the pilot project that we're doing here in Nova Scotia? I'm like, pardon me, squeeze me. Ah! Mm -hmm. And so what it was is if you were willing to sort of um, do the work yourself, therefore less contact hours in the hospital. So watch all the videos, do all the reading, create your own book and journal, work with your own dietitian, work with your own psychologist. And once again, super blessed and have a healthcare plan and wealthy enough to be able to finance those things and, um, and have a family doctor. Also another glitch here in Nova Scotia. So big problem. problem. Yeah. So you had to be able to meet with your family doctor for many months continuously, have blood work done every single month, get waist measurements, get weighed in, blood pressure, all these kind of things. And I have this amazing family doctor, Dr. York out in Fall River that was on side. And so went through all the steps and got accepted in the program and got to have it for free in Nova Scotia, relatively clear relatively quickly because the weight loss surgery in Nova Scotia lineups about 10 years. 
So um, did all of the diet stuff, which is like a liquid fast for about three months before you go in for your surgery, trying to shrink your liver. Um, so drink protein shakes pretty much exclusively for three months, uh, starting on Boxing Day of 2019. Got accepted and my surgery was supposed to be March of 2020. Anybody guess what happened to that surgery? Yay, canceled. So I stayed on the diet, not knowing how long the pandemic would last, hoping that I could have my surgery the next month or the next month how, how or the next month. Well, the thing is, is that um, for anybody out there who's overweight or struggles with obesity, you know, dieting doesn't work. And so me being on a protein shake, 1200 calorie diet um, didn't drop any weight. Um, you know, I lost a couple pounds, but like under 10. And uh, I stayed on that diet until September. So unfortunately for me, I kind of went through a bit of a part of my French, a shit show of trying to like mentally starve myself on a liquid diet for, you know, nine months. So 1200 calories. That's yeah. It's really, torturous. really restrictive. It's torturous. Like it's socially awkward. It's mentally awkward. It's yeah. It wasn't fun, but I'm very blessed. I did have the surgery in September and very quickly my body started to lose weight. So the really cool thing about gastric sleeve, that is the neatest aspect of the surgery is they cut out two thirds of your stomach and the bottom part of your stomach has all the receptors that perceive hunger. So all the ghrelin receptors in your body, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But um, so your body doesn't perceive hunger, which is fantastic, but it also disconnects the neurological and biochemical link to your brain that perceives hunger. So what ends up happening is there's no longer this um, fight or flight response almost in your body when you're on a low calorie diet that like, oh, I'm starving me. Because what happens when we starve ourselves is our brain like holds on to fat to protect us because we shouldn't be starving ourselves. We think we're dying. We think we're dying. And so when you cut those receptors, the brain doesn't get that message, doesn't send out all the alarms to store fat and your body loses the fat. And so what happened really quickly after the surgery is my body just started to drop fat. And so I stayed on the exact same diet I'd been on for that eight months before for the first month. And then in month two, you move into like purees and soft foods and you sort of progress. So it's three months of progressing. And mostly it's just so your stomach can heal because it's it's stitched along that whole bottom you were, you were cut open. You were cut open. They take out. Taken. Yeah. So the difference between that and like lap band surgery where they just pinched your stomach or the the older version where they like disconnect and reconnect the stomach, they've taken the receptors out in the surgery. So it's the gold standard if you really actually want to change the disease of obesity because you, you need to disrupt that connection between the perception of hunger, which helps you to eat less, no question, but also for your brain to not be in panic state so that your body will lose fat. So part of the reason my body had gained 100 pounds endocrine-wise was that polycystic ovary system, you know, disruption and all the cysts that were rupturing in my ovaries that were affecting my hormones. And so it was pounding the weight onto me. Um, and, you, you know, there's a great TV show, My Big Fat Fabulous Life, and she, like, chronicles really well about what's going on with polycystic ovary syndrome and diseases. But the, the disruption of my brain thinking I'm safe enabled my body to lose that fat. So it just started dripping off. And it really interestingly enough is that our fat cells hold a lot of our hormones. So I cried for months after surgery at anything because my body, it was like I was in PMS because I was literally like losing all of the hormones out of those fat cells. And so it was like a PMS estrogen kind of drop. And so every day I'd be like crying about something crazy, but it was like, my fat cells are crying. And that's a great thing. If my fat cells will go the hell away. Cool. Cool. So liquid diet and like, PMSing. Yeah. And then, and then I was able to get back into my normal, natural, healthy nutrition. So now I'm back to my regular way that I've always eaten my whole life. The only difference now is that because my stomach size is smaller, I eat six meals versus three which, you know, lots of athletes eat anyway. So whatever you would normally eat for your breakfast, lunch, and supper, I divide it in half because the size of my stomach is smaller. So it's interesting because everybody's like, oh my God, you're doing such a great job losing all this weight. I'm like, yeah, great. I'm literally exercising the same. I'm eating the exact same food. I've disconnected this dysfunction that was in my body due to disease, due to endocrine, due to whatever, something happened in my system or a couple things. But, and I'm not saying that there was never a time that I didn't eat healthy or there was never a time that I binged, 
For sure I did. Because there's nothing worse than like dieting and never losing weight and working your butt off and doing an Ironman and or failing at the Ironman as it was with me and not having any body change. Of course, you're going to be like, screw it. I'm just going to eat the pint of ice cream. Well, you're not getting any results. You're not getting any results. So, so you just get down on yourself more, you get more depression, all that kind of stuff that goes with it. So really fascinating for me to like disrupt that and, and be like, oh, I no longer feel like I had dysmorphic eating issues. I no longer feel like I have all of this brain space used up on like how I'm going to get this weight off. Like I felt like I had a tremendous amount of space in my brain to do all kinds of other things instead of figuring out how to get this weight off. Right. And so when I hit a hundred pounds off, I threw the scale out because I do believe weighing yourself all the time is a great way to live in disordered eating. And I had, hadn't had eating disorders growing up and I didn't want to be that person. And I kind of had to live that for like 18 months in and around the surgery because it's part of the protocol. To and find so, out what you're losing. And yeah, you have to really, you have to always weigh yourself. And like, I was like, this isn't good for me, but I know I had to be part of the process. So, you know, I had to do a lot of work with my psychologist as well to like, not be that and it was the hardest from that December to September before I actually had the cut after the cut I was like oh I don't feel hungry so that's great so you're not like you're not suffering through as much because you're because when you did it before like you said you didn't lose no much weight. like under 10 pounds you, suffered with you just suffered calories yeah. with yeah. no results no and just like always starving, always hating life. Like we went to this wedding right before my surgery and everybody's sitting around. We were in cottages for a couple of days and everybody's snacking, eating chips and blah, blah, blah. And I'm having like, you know, soy milk. <laughs> I was like, this sucks. And then you go to the wedding and can't have any of the food at the wedding. And I'm just like, I brought my protein shake to the wedding. And I was like, this is horrible. Like this is not the way to live. But I hadn't had the surgery yet. So I'm just starving at the wedding as everybody's eating cupcakes and yeah and just barbecue and yeah all the things around you and you're just like this is a great way to hate my life well and you view yourself as different than everybody else yeah at that yeah, point, yeah. Right? totally like, oh look at all these people living life and i'm life. over here just fat and eating protein shakes and just yeah. existing existing yeah. And I mean, we're, I'm a foodie. My husband and I are both foodies. We love food. I love cooking. I love having people over and, and, but once again, primarily always nutritious. And, you know, if you look at all the other people that were eating nutritious or eating shit and not exercising as much as me and different bodies, we're all different bodies, right? There's a great video. If you ever want to check it on YouTube called poodle science that I send patients to all the time. It's talking about healthy at every size and how we're not all the poodles in the gym, in the, the yard, like telling people how to be nice, young and fit. Like some of us are labs, some of us are mastiffs. Like we all have different bodies. I definitely come genetically from a family that's bigger so even though I hit that 100 pound loss you know if I'm going to be around 200 pounds for the rest of my life that's still a bigger body but that bigger body for me was much easier to play sports and do life than a 300 pound body was well, right and it's how you feel so you're not dealing with the joint pain like you were before because you Absolutely. knew there was too much weight yeah for your body to contend with. yeah and like uh, I really like to promote healthy at every size I don't believe we're all supposed to be the same size for me, I wasn't well mentally or physically at 300. And so I had to do something drastic so that I wasn't on a diet for the rest of my life. So the day I threw the scale out at the one year mark, I haven't, you know, I, I'm not, I never want to be on a diet again. I want to eat healthy food. I want to make good food choices, but I don't want to be neurotic about anything, about my weight, about exercise or food ever again, because I feel like I lived in the neurotic for so long it's exhausting it's exhausting yeah i don't it, want to be there it takes up too much brain space yeah I guess. why do we want to wake up every morning wondering how we can lose more weight all the time all the time screw or that decide our emotional state by based what on what that scale. number is on that scale yeah and that's why i threw the scale up because i was like the arbitrary i'm good i'm good Right. And like my weight since then has, you know, gone a little bit up. I gained a little tiny bit of weight when I got COVID. I got quite sick with COVID in April and was way behind on exercise for a long time. Tried to go biking in eight weeks and my lungs were like, nope, not today. <laughs> this is so, not today. <laughs> Went biking with a friend recently and went on the hills and I was like, nope, not today. So, you know, COVID's real. But the, uh, but like, but the grace and the comfortableness with that would be like, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be always my leanest and fittest at all phases of my life. We have to be like, have grace for, you know, sickness or unwellness, right? But I want to focus on good nutritious food and exercise every day, drinking water, getting my sleep, connections with friends and family. Like that's how we're healthy, right? 
Yeah, and I know you touched on that you tried everything. Yeah, literally. And there's a bit of a misconception sometimes when it comes to the surgery that people kind of go with, oh, they want to take the easy way out. <laughs> they didn't actually try everything possible. Yeah. Clearly, they could have eaten just a little bit less and exercised a little bit more. Yeah, And it why would you want to get yourself cut open? Yeah, I don't think anybody else. chooses that. Like, if, if there was an easier route... Let me just tell you, the surgery is not easy. It's horrifically painful. So like, not to scare people that are going down that route, but like I'd had a hysterectomy before that. I'd had my gallbladder taken out. I'd had a, another surgery on my uterus before that where they were trying to save it. Took out like a grapefruit sized fibroid. You know, I'd had some major cuts to my abdominals. This one was intense. There's, there's like 11 scars, 34 staples. Like it's not a, a quick, easy recovery. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty uncomfortable to eat afterwards. It's really hard to sleep. You got to sleep sitting up for a while. So like, it's not an easy route. No. I, I, I'm so blessed that I have it. I feel like I, I'm my healthiest self now since, you know, back in my twenties before I started to get sick. So, uh, I definitely don't regret it, but it definitely wasn't the easy way out. No, I right. And it's a permanent change now. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, there's lots of foods that I can't quite fit into my stomach. So, uh, you know, you're, you're making some changes, like adjustments, you're making adjustments. I have a lot of foods that I don't eat for my Crohn's, which is a different entity, but like, yeah, you're still making some specific modifications of what you're fitting into that space. Right. But it's a tool, like you got to utilize it as like, um, use the advantage of not feeling that always insatiably hungry sensation when you're eating less nutrition like less total volume of food right did you find that before the surgery your thoughts would be taken up by like when you were on the 1200 calorie diet just about food all day long like you just would think about it all the time all day long yeah when you're starving all your brain does is tell you about food because literally 1200 calories for most people is starving right i mean if you're a very very petite person and that's your basic metabolic rate and that's your basic intake sure maybe your brain's not telling you you're starving but when you're 300 pounds 1200 calories is starving full stop right yeah. so to maintain 300 pounds of body weight and there's lots of people out there that are healthy at that weight if they're taller bigger i'm five six so 300 is pretty big on me it you know you need like 2400 calories just to maintain that body weight so when you cut it to half you're all your brain does all day long is tell you you're starving and what is our evolutionary response to starving go eat and, yeah and stop moving and right. stop moving. You yeah. Don't want yeah. You don't have a lot of energy if you're at 50% intake. Right. So it's a really dis, yeah, it's a dysfunctional space to be in. Now I've, you're only supposed to be in there for three months pre-surgery, right? Yeah. Just liver shrink, get ready to go safe, safer for outcomes. Right. But you're not supposed to be stuck there. Right? <laughs> no. so Damn you pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But I didn't know when it was going to end in the surgery cancellation. So I wanted, if I started eating regular food again, then I would have to reset that three months. Whole three months yeah. So I was like, I'll stay time. there. I'll just stay there. Cause you know, it'll be soon. <laughs> It's got to be tomorrow. It's got to be tomorrow. Yeah, Maybe next week. You get the lettuce out of our house. Soon. Yeah, yeah. This is only going to last three weeks. <laughs> that, that was famous last words. Right? Yeah, totally, totally. Only two weeks. Only I was that person at the beginning. Oh, come on. That's will be fine. Oh, yeah. Months yeah. after going to the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, your nutrition. What does it look like right now? Like, how? Yeah, I know you speak a little bit about intuitive eating on your Instagram yeah. page. And yeah. I, and I've taken a look at that. But what... What do you focus on now? So looping back to that intuitive eating. So great resource for anybody online. Instagram, go see Dr. Jen Salib Huber. She's an incredible naturopath. She was my naturopath through this process. And she was my naturopath before the surgery came into play because I started studying intuitive eating through her, took courses with her. And I really liked the philosophy of never dieting again. And how do I do that? Especially as someone who'd come from eating disorders. So it was... And, and there's tons of great reading out there. So if, if you want to never try it again, please study intuitive eating. Um, and so what my nutrition now looks like, um, like if we take out the Crohn's component. And so with Crohn's, I, I follow a nutrition that's called FODMAP. There's a bunch of foods that like can be a little bit more inflammatory with when you have an inflammatory bowel disease like I do. Um, so, you know, there's no garlic or onion or 
unfortunately super trendy. I don't have gluten. I don't have lactose. So there's a bunch of foods that my system doesn't feel as best on. And I'm really trying to keep my steroids low for my, my Crohn's disease. Um, so if you take that component out of how I eat nutritionally, then, um, like I said, I just divide my meals into six. So, you know, it's fresh fish, it's chicken, it's pork, it's ground turkey, um, eggs and fruits and veggies and divide it up and eat, eat good. Um, I like my rice crackers for my little fake sandwiches and Your crunchy little snacks. I crunchy little snacks yeah. and I get my like lactose free yogurt with crunch granola on it and berries. And yeah, I think you just find ways to like eat the most nutritious. Worked with Melissa Allen, an excellent uh, dietitian that's with us at Cove Sport and at the Atlantic Sports Center. She was a great resource of like how to build out my nutrition on the FODMAP so that I was getting all the vitamins and nutrients. And when you have the surgery, you do have to take vitamins for life to make sure that you're not deficient. So a higher chance with a surgery. So have a nice little bowl of my omega-3s and vitamin Ds and C's and multis and all that stuff to start the day just to make sure in case I miss it with my veggies but um yeah eat one ingredient food <laughs> is like pretty much most of simple. my day keep it simple eat stuff you love make sure there's good satisfaction in it that was a big learning lesson that I got when I started doing the intuitive eating work one of the problems I used to do because I was on a diet for so many years is, you know, that Monday ritual of like, I'm going to be super healthy. I'm going to eat super clean. And I hate that term. And I'm glad that term's out with intuitive eating because all food's good food. And there's, no such, food. there's no such thing in clean and dirty, right? Yeah. It's just food. But I used to like, you know, pack it like a super nutritious little salad for lunch. And then it was like, not satisfying enough and not enough calories. And then I'd be like, I need a bagel with cream cheese instead. So I think that one of the benefits of nutrition now, because we've, I've done so much work and obviously with this surgery, even more work is like making sure each of my meals is really satisfying. It's delicious. There's, you know, different flavors. It's eating the rainbow, all of these kind of things, right? Like, yeah, I think that's where I've shifted a little bit more so that it's like never going to be on a diet again. Yeah, I'm just right? going to eat food. I'm going to eat food, food that I enjoy. Yeah. I, I know the difference between eating a carrot and an Oreo cookie. Yeah, like, but if I want the Oreo cookie, it's I'll not have the Oreo cookie. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and sometimes the denying yourself only yeah. pushes you farther into wanting Totally. You, I find that even more so for people who have very strong personalities because when you're told not to do something, yeah. even when it's yourself telling you not yeah. to do something, yeah. you shoot right in the opposite direction. Absolutely. So there's nothing that I don't eat. There's foods I choose not to eat for my Crohn's, but there's no other foods well, I don't eat. Just because of the effect of them on you. Yeah, they'll make you feel sick. Yeah, yeah, totally. There but, is a bit of a misconception with intuitive eating. I find some people take it to the extreme where they go, okay, you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Yes. Don't worry about quantity or quality. Yes. What do you say to people who kind of have that? perception and I think that's actually not a, a, a wrong perception of it and I think that the healthier that you get when you take out all the restrictions you know yeah will you have five cookies sometimes sure will you also crave the salad because your body wants veggies yes and the the more dysmorphic or dysfunctional you've been with your nutrition the harder or longer it'll take with intuitive eating to like veer yourself to probably eating more nutritious because if you've withheld yourself from eating cakes or cookies or sweets for so long, then you're going to like binge for a bit until you sort of balance out. But anybody knows if you go on vacation for a while and you do all you eat buffets for a while, you come home and you're craving a salad. You want something <laughs> you totally want something different. To, you need yeah. some nutrition. Right. Um, and so I think that like, if you, if you shift that focus, a lot of people are like, Oh, well then, then I'm just going to give myself permission to eat all kinds of shit. Right. But we don't actually crave shit all the time. We crave it when we're not allowed to have it. Right. And then right? you deal with the backlash of that binge eat. Yeah. Right? And sometimes gross. that is actually worse than the yeah. actual yeah. act of binge eat. How you respond to yourself. And it's not even just the physical feeling of unwellness. Yeah. It's the fact that you mentally then beat yourself up yeah. for the choices that you just made. And it's interesting that the more that I've done this intuitive eating sort of philosophy, the less binging I've ever done. Part of it is the surgery and me not being a perception of hunger and me not being on a diet anymore. So that's fantastic. But it's also like when there's full permission to just eat healthy food, you will eventually shift where you pick healthy food most of the time. There's definitely times now where like something super stressful and I'll emotionally eat and there'll be a hunger sensation in my body. And now I know for sure that's emotional. 
Yeah. Because I don't perceive physical hunger anymore. But if I'm like really hungry, I'll be like, oh, huh, what's going on in my body right now? What's my, what am I stressed about? Right? Yeah. And then like, I think anytime that you're trying to have a, a better, healthier relationship with food, not only do you need to get rid of all the rules, but you also want to have a couple good, healthy, nutritious snacks that can be your go-tos when you're emotional that are going to be satisfying and delicious. And, you know, I was saying about my, my yogurt and granola berry kind of thing, like it's crunchy, it's sweet, it's delicious. It's one of my like, oh, I'm stressed out. I'm going to go have this right now. Right. And you find as well, like as you shift into that, like you always ate healthy, mm-hmm. but you were finally getting results yeah. in eating healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that kind of change your mentality towards food as well? Because you you knew you were always eating well. I knew I was always eating well. Like I said, as I was getting overweight, there was definitely times where I'd be like, I'm going to have a McChicken and McDonald's today. Or but I'm like everybody have, does that. Everybody does. But there would be such a shame spiral like, oh, well, you're a fatty. You really shouldn't be eating this crap. And yeah, it's not super nutritious for us. But like, if you think about the 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 struggle to lose weight and never losing weight and then being like, F it, because... <laughs> Yeah. Why not? If I'm if I'm going to be fat anyways, why am I on it? Why am I eating the salad? Right? Because you get into such a negative headspace. And now the philosophy more is like, well, I like salads and but then I also sometimes like the cookies or I like the whatever. We're having chicken wings while we watch football, right? But I feel like there's way less of the mental screwed up in the head philosophy on food. I I I honestly feel like that surgery completely cured me of eating disorders. Which is kind of a magical side effect. It is, it is a very magical side effect because mm-hmm. that is a struggle for a lot of people for mm-hmm. a long time and they're always desperate to find the answer. Mm-hmm. And it seems that with the people that I've talked to, that they often just turn around and start blaming themselves. Mm-hmm. Like there's clearly something wrong with me mm-hmm. if I don't have the right willpower. Diets, I don't have right. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I've broken down. I've yeah, failed I'm not good again. Enough. I'm not. And it's obviously my fault totally. that all these diets that work for everybody else. Yeah. Because look, oh, this person has this yeah, yeah, yeah. transformation. And Instagram is horrible for that. Yeah. Right? And, and I, I really struggled about posting anything about my weight loss. But I, I also knew that people were going to know it's 100 pounds. Um, yeah. And so I might as well be a bit, use it yeah. as an educational tool versus a, look how skinny and magically and beautiful I am. Right? Because I was still beautiful at 300 pounds. Yeah. Um, I just wasn't as healthy as I wanted to be. But I grew up with dysmorphic eating, dysfunctional eating. My mother was always on a diet, you know, lever to pieces, but she had, you know, a genetic bigger body too and emotional stuff that made her emotionally eat. And then, you know, but I, I dodged it for a long time into my twenties. But then when my body started to gain weight, I started to become bulimic. And so I couldn't figure out how to not gain weight and not eat. And obviously bulimia is a tremendously terrifying eating disorder. And uh, I was very blessed to do some do some great inpatient care and, and, and do some great work with psychologists and recovered and then would fall off and then recovered and would fall off. And the whole time that I was really, really heavy, I, I struggled the most with bulimia because, you know, the Ironman was a great example where I was training 22 hours a week and working with dietitians and, 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 and then trying to get on the scale and be excited to lose weight. And then I wouldn't gain it wouldn't lose it or I was gaining it. And, uh, and then, you know, you would slip into this really negative headspace where you would eat something nutritious or not nutritious and be like, well, this has got to go. And it's a really screwed up headspace to get in that you would like make yourself throw up in order to lose that food from your body. Cause you could count the calories that was going to make you fatter. And, and, you, and, and you I punishing. wasn't getting, and I wasn't getting fatter yeah. because of my food. You were punishing yourself through the whole thing. Totally. It's a really, really negative headspace. So I'm very happy the side effect of the surgery is, is that I honestly feel like it instantly cured me of bulimia, which is pretty awesome because it was many years that that was a, it, it would rear its ugly head depending on where I was at. And, and for many years, it would be a binge, not a purge because I knew better and, or you would, not that you don't know better if you're going through that, but there be win- windows of unhealth or dis- dysfunctional type of eating, right? When you're just like, well, I'm just so fat. What does it matter? 
right? Not I don't matter. Do changes anything, and then self worth yeah. gets tied into horrible. And then Our society is so driven on what we look like, and then of course, you know, I'm an athletic therapist and osteopath, and working with all these athletes, and then I'm the fat obese therapist, right? So there was lots of things tied into that too, where it was like, I'm supposed to be this picture of health, and I'm not. Well, and you're supposed to know everything. Yeah. 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 And if so, maybe I should just diet more. Exercise more. Because you're not somehow, doing that. Yeah. Somehow I won't be, somehow I won't be perfect enough to project that to the world that I know what I'm, that I got my shit together, right? Well, and people have this strange perception of it. Obesity, just in general. Obesity like, is laziness. 100%. It's yeah. tied to, to just like, you're obviously not trying hard enough. Yeah. Because if you tried a little harder, you yeah. could succeed. And that, and, the, and the people who are slimmer are more successful, more got their crap together, more that they're a better person. And There's a huge link to better person. It can't be the fat person. It has to be the skinny person. Meanwhile, we really don't know what people are going through on all no. levels, right? And it's interesting when you, like, there's a great TED Talk that was talking about, like, mortality and, um, you know, what are the risk factors for health and, uh, or the risk, you know, where it is on the hierarchy of obesity. Because yeah, lots of people were very opinionated with me when I was fat and how much it, my health equated or that equated to me being unhealthy, Right. And uh, on the ranking on the list, like, you know, alcohol and drug consumption is worse than being fat. And, you know, having no friends and connections is like number one in the risk factors. So it's interesting when I worked with some of the doctors that were fat shaming me as I went through it, where they're like, oh, my God, you're so fat. You need to lose weight. Meanwhile, like my sugars were a four. My my blood pressure is 110 over 70. My resting heart rate is 52. Like there's lots of and this is before surgery, right? Yes. Like all of these like parameters of, you know, lots of doctors would be like, oh, well, your, your blood work looks really great, <laughs> you know, on some levels. It's like, they were almost yeah. looking for, yeah, oh, you must have diabetes and heart disease, right? And yeah. I'm like, well, I can run a 10K and how many people can at do 300 that? pounds, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, um, you know, I still work out seven times a week and we know only 15% of the population exercises three times a week, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, there was lots of shaming of like, oh, well, you must be unwell. And I was like, well, I'm mentally unwell for sure. Yeah. <laughs> My joints hate this. But there's lots of other parameters of like, even though I'm obese, I'm actually quite healthy underneath this. I have a ton of muscle in here, right? So, but yeah, there's a, it, the fat shaming world is really interesting. It was really interesting, like as a little scientist on the inside of being like, huh. I went to, I've, I've been anemic for years, lots of reasons there. Obviously now we know some of it was Crohn's in addition to needing the hysterectomy, but the, uh, I went to see this one doctor and, uh, trying to see if we could figure this out. And he was like, well, the gold standard is that we do like a, a spinal draw to see what's going on. But you know, you're too big of a girl for us to do that. And I was like, pardon? So the gold standard, I don't deserve it because I'm too obese. And he's like, yeah. I was like, really? So why would so you're fired? This was a hematologist in Halifax. So I fired him. Did, did, did they, did they, it's a little higher risk, I'm sure, for to do the, the draw if you're a certain BMI. So, therefore, I didn't deserve it. But is that because for most people who are overweight and unhealthy, mm -hmm. so show all those markers of, like, high blood pressure, diabetic. But there's tons that aren't. But wouldn't that be, the be more of a reason not to stab a needle into somebody's spine? Yeah, yeah, maybe. But I, I, I think it's more just like the the risk factors are a little higher depending on how much body weight's there. You know, one of my surgeries, we had to bring in the anesthesiologist because I was so overweight to make sure that it was going to be fine to intubate me because, you know, like the thickness and the size of my neck. And so she walks in, she's like, you're good, walked out. That was her assessment to see how my fat was. Was my fat based mostly on muscle versus fat? Was my neck too thick? She walked yeah. in, she's like, yeah, you're fine. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> thanks, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm the right fat. Thanks, you don't <laughs> need to be like doing special stuff with me, right? But yeah, there was lots of interesting things of navigating like, do I deserve a good type of healthcare? And are you instantly going to just form an opinion the second you think, see me? But I would say 15 different specialists was like, you just need to diet. It just came down to calories. Yeah, like calories in, calories less. out. Yeah, eat less and you won't be so fat. You know, like, eh, eh. I feel like there's something else going on. There here. could be maybe something we could look into of why I've gained 100 pounds in a year eating the same food. Maybe we can investigate that. Yeah. 
it's a blame game, right? Like, why? Well, how many people fault? out there are like hating themselves every day because of their body weight? And how many people are starting a diet every Monday? And how many people are spending millions of dollars in different ways on diets and all of the ways that they're punishing themselves? And how can we globally change that so that people like get the healthcare they need when they have certain diseases and illnesses? And how can we help everybody else who's, you know, small to average to large to love themselves where they are at? That would be wonderful. It's an interesting way to like look at it. Yeah. So I hope that answered most of the question. That is, that is, well, what advice would you give to somebody who is on the fence about getting this type of surgery? Yeah. I mean, if you have the benefit of getting into the Nova Scotia pilot program, if you even live in Nova Scotia, I think that would be a great way to start. You can go onto the obesity network with Nova Scotia healthcare and read about it and find out the steps. You're welcome to reach out to me if you want to ask questions. Um, I think that uh, once again, it's not for everybody. You do need to have a family doctor. You do need to have a certain higher level BMI. Um, this is talking about people who are struggling with obesity, not just having extra weight on their body. Um, but I, I'd love to, to find a way that globally we can get to um, not promoting clean eating, not promoting diets of any form that we could get where we eat nutritious, satisfactory foods as often as we can and give ourselves great grace when we eat something that's a little bit more decadent and it's part of a general healthy plan in our life of finding that balance and move our bodies every day, get great sleep, even better to like regulate healthy body weight, right? And take care of the underlying diseases and illnesses or mental health issues that are part of the reason of why you're not as healthy as you can be. Like I, I said, I always wish I could have like one of those, um, you know, you do the like DNA testing to find out what percentage of what nationality you are. I'd love to have a little, little test to tell me, okay, what contributed to the 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 obesity was it like this much endocrinology and this much genetics and this much eating shit food right here's your like, pie graph here's your pie graph <laughs> yeah. and then I'm like okay I'm gonna own that pie part and then this part I'm like blame on my parents and then this one I'm this gonna blame is, on the disease how much I can take off of yeah like, yeah yeah what I could actually yeah control. what I have control over and I know that there's it's multifactorial right and so I'm not sitting here being like, I own nothing. It was all somebody else's fault. Of course it's not, but it's complicated, right? It's a complicated, obesity is complicated. And my path is definitely not everybody's path. And I think that, you know, I think there's a little part, that was the Crohn's where I'm like not getting the nutrients because I'm bleeding out and I'm like not absorbing stuff, right? When we took out my stomach, we figured out I also had like autoimmune gastritis. So I wasn't absorbing B12, poor absorption of iron. Like lots of things were factoring into me being insatiably hungry all the time where my body was like, please eat more to replace what's not actually getting absorbed. And then right? you're like, no, I'm not going to eat more. Yeah, I'm going to starve myself or I'm going to vomit. And then I'm going to run. Yeah, and I'm going to go run and punish myself. myself. Yeah, I'm going to go lift too much weight and I'm going to sweat it all off. And yeah, and then all I of the stupid like things. 300 more extra calories today. So clearly I need to go and yeah, run those off totally. because they shouldn't be there. One of the first eating disorders I developed was actually anorexia, exercise anorexia at the early stages where it was like weighing everything and staying under 10 grams of fat a day and doing three and a half hours of exercise a day. So that was the first eating disorder I got where I was very, very underweight, dropped below 120, lost my hair, lost my periods, lots of dysfunction at the early end, and then shifted and went the other way into bulimia. So it, there's lots of ways that we can torture ourselves to try to be what we think is ideal, is sexy, is beautiful, is all the things. Yeah. <laughs> all and, the things. And, and so much is just on that exterior that very people, very few people take just a look at the mental side of oh it's tons of trauma in that right yeah all the reasons why we don't feel like we're enough yeah what a sin and like what for, a sin that poor and girl it's so random that we pick a number on a scale to yeah. like decide if we can be happy today yeah 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 like you've succeeded oh yeah so i like myself today things. because it's this yeah i like myself Oh, I hate myself today because I'm this. And again, that number is so arbitrary. Yeah. Where are we at with our periods? You know, one of my girlfriends used to joke where it was like, it would not, 
it was like a Newfoundland expression of like, oh, she's like 120 pounds with a wet snowsuit on, needs to have a poop, like, tan should then wear with it, right? Like, <laughs> wet snowsuit. Yeah. 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 Too but, many things impacted that we just, yeah, it's one yeah, number. Yeah. One number. Oh, what a sin. The number of people out there that are like wasting so much mental and physical energy on that number. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sin. And I'm so glad I'm not her anymore. You don't have to. I don't have to be her anymore. Well, and most of that is a choice to not be her because I don't think this surgery can correct all of those dysfunctions mentally with people unless you do the work. Yes. Right. A lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't just letting my psychologist. Thank you. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's the team. And all the journals and all the books. I think that's one of the, one of the biggest things that you were able to do is that you created a Build my tribe around you yeah. that could help you through that you knew would be a difficult time for you to yeah. be able to get through. Yeah. And everybody should have a tribe. They should have a couple friends that will always tell them the truth in a kind, gentle way. And they, and you know, if, if I honestly, my dream for the world is that we all have our own mental health care provider. That's part of our regular health plan. The way that we put kids into the dentist by the time they're three we have doctors. Why don't we start with mental health care providers at the same time, right? You check their eyesight when they start to read. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No. And if we were doing that, we would be a lot. Oh, sorry. We would be a lot less dysfunctional in the world. <laughs> well, it would be something that you could normalize. It's definitely something that um, loses focus. And, and it's almost, it's, it's not, like you said, as important. Like who wants to set their kids up for mental success like yeah if we all learned how to deal with our emotions and our feelings better learned how to deal with our traumas as we were going through them and hard stuff if we had that type of resource from a young age and progressively learned all the things it's also interesting in japan they have an incredible nutrition program i wish canada and the rest of the world would follow the japanese um education system from like primary to grade 12 there's nutrition cooking gardening classes that are integrated in the curriculum so from young ages kids are learning how to work with food how to grow the food how to season the food so by the time these japanese students graduate in grade 12 they know how to farm they know how to season they know how to cook hundreds and hundreds of meals and so they're going off into the world learning how to make and take care of food nutritionally for themselves instead of like a lot of the Canadian kids where, you know, my son has a pretty limited uh, cooking capability, yeah. uh, often university for himself, and not all of it is nutritious, right? And so part of part of the change up of global health probably should be that we're teaching it right from the beginning. I would have way preferred learning that or my son learning that than, you know, Pythagoras theorem. Um, because more, it's applicable, right? Totally applicable, right? It's, yeah, it's imaginary numbers, but they can't do their taxes. It's learning like real life skills yeah. that I don't know why it's not integrated. Yeah, I mean, like a couple cooking classes where they like bake cookies and muffins is lovely, but like if we were learning how to taste food and grow food and work with food and 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 many different types of recipes that are all age appropriate the whole way through you know how cool would that be make it easy and fun easy and right? fun. Like food doesn't have to be overly complicated to be delicious no but if you if you if we're all working bazillions of hours and using convenience food as part of our primary nutrition then it's really easy when you go off to university or you go off as a young adult to like utilize that yourself because you don't have all the skills to make all of the things and we need to eat well, every that, day. Right? right. And that bleeds over into the next generation which bleeds over to the next generation because you know, you got to stop a cycle somewhere because if your parents don't know how to eat properly, well, who's going to show you how to eat properly? Totally. And then that gets just, everybody just perpetuated in a cycle. Yeah. And obesity is, is, growing by leaps and bounds everywhere no question right yeah we're we're a globally mentally unwell society that is feeding into lots of disease i think we got to look at a couple different ways to be our healthiest where we improve our nutrition understanding we improve our understanding of obesity and we improve our understanding of like taking care of our mental health in all aspects right Anybody who's had success with certain types of diets, I mean, 
certain diets help for a temporary time, but research shows that 98% of all diets fail within three years. So, um, because the more you restrict yourself, the more that your body will eventually crave it. And it's interesting. They've done some really cool data of the research of uh, the biggest loser. So, for those that don't know, The Biggest Loser is a big TV show in the States for many years where they do extreme dieting and they do extreme strength conditioning and they bring in all these pros that, you know, make these people who suffer from obesity sprint on treadmills and lift kettlebells and go on extreme diets. And then the person who loses the most weight loses, wins the competition. And they've done muscle biopsies and and metabolic testing on these people for, I don't know, 14 years of whatever the show has been going on to. And what it shows is that the basal metabolic rate in those people um, goes down from that extreme dieting. And so three years out from the show, even if they lost 100 pounds on the show, their body weight's back up 40, 60, 80 pounds, 100 pounds. Some of them gain it back or more. And their metabolic rate actually has gotten lower. So in order to maintain that lower body weight, they have to actually eat less and work out more. And then the more they do that, the metabolic rate goes down lower. So it's fascinating when you have this, you know, I don't know how many people have been on the show over these 15 years, but this huge group of people who are like celebrities for losing that weight in their community that are now punishing themselves with starvation and exercise just to even be close to that magical weight that they lost at the beginning. And what so many end up gaining it back because that is a cycle that is just, it, you, you can't sustain it. You can't no. sustain the act of continuously eating less because then what does that leave you at? Yeah. Eating nothing. Eating nothing. And uh, a starving person will always affect the metabolic rate because the body needs to go into protection mode, right? Fascinating. It is fascinating. And the metabolic rate doesn't change with the gastric sleeve surgery. That is also fascinating. Yeah. That's why it's the most effective way to combat obesity. Now, wouldn't it be fascinating if we could figure out a way to like cauterize or dissect just those receptors and not have to take out the whole damn stomach and do this huge 34 stable surgery. Yeah. That would be magical. Right. And I know there are some drugs out there that can affect those receptors. I did try one of them in advance of that with the endocrinology team. My eyelashes fell out and I got really sick. So that one wasn't my drug. Not a great side effect. <laughs> but, you know, I tried it because I was going to try all the things. Right. And, you know, metformin and metformin didn't work for me because my my natural sugars were really low. So, but there's, there's, there's things that are out there trying to combat obesity without this surgery. This is the most effective for long-term weight loss. Right. So it's not the funnest, but it's not easy. It's not easy, but I'm glad I did it. I'm you did blessed. it. You did it. You succeeded. And on the other side. I'm, I was very excited to talk to you about this. Thanks buddy. Because I think more people need to understand the complications and the misconceptions yeah and everything that surrounds obesity and for you to be able to succeed like you have is a wonderful story thanks buddy and for all those other people out there with obesity struggling i see you and i wish you lots of love and stop dieting please wish them all the best yeah and stop dieting. they find their success story yeah find your tribe Thanks again. Thanks for having me. You have a lovely day. Yay. Bye. Bye.